dads are struggling right now, and they just decided not to come to church because mom's not there. Uh, I brought my kids. Mom's not here. No, they're actually out on a, our oldest has a music competition today, so mom's over there taking him over there and with the little one in tow. All right. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be with you again this morning. Have you, there's a term we call running into a wall, right? It's a figurative phrase. It's not something we usually talk about literally. It describes when we're trying to achieve something or there's something important in our lives and it's a goal, but for whatever reason, it feels like progress has stopped. You've hit a wall. Again, it's a figurative phrase, except some folks know it quite literally. I have an experience kind of like that, too. When I was a kid and I was learning how to ride my bike, my dad was holding, you know, the back of the bike seat, right? And we were, I was pedaling and, he, and I was like, I don't, you know, I was struggling. I couldn't keep upright. And my dad says, you just got to pedal faster. You have a little bit of speed will help you stay up. And so I started pedaling fast and then really fast and so fast that he couldn't keep up. And so he let go and there I was. I was going. I was coasting. And it was exciting. It was thrilling, except I was at a park and at the park, the kind of, I went up a little hill and then came crested over it and went down the hill. And I had not yet learned how to fall or slow down or put on the brakes. And so I rode right down the hill into one of those park placards that explains how to do the exercises. And I went head first into it at pretty high speed. And I, it was a tragic event. But that's like hitting a wall. You run into a wall. There's something that just blocks you from proceeding or progressing. Our journey with Jesus sometimes is like that. Especially when it comes to the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is, in one way or another, at the core of the Christian faith. It's important to what we believe as Christ followers, that through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. If you've been around a church long enough, you know that forgiveness is given to all. It's available to all who would come to God. That forgiveness is not predicated on yours and my goodness. It is not predicated on our ability to stop making mistakes or stop sinning. But it is on the grace of God and God alone. And yet and still, though we know these things about forgiveness, whether we are new to following Jesus, whether we have kind of half-heartedly followed Jesus, or we've been following Jesus very seriously for longer than I have been alive, we all can, experience, we all can relate to that experience of knowing that there's forgiveness, but yet sometimes not experiencing forgiveness. Do you know what I mean? We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, more in detail. But I think that the idea of forgiveness is something that we embrace. But yet, it's not always something that we live into and experience. It's like there's a wall in the way. We find ourselves still trapped 
by guilt and shame. Even though we know the Bible says something about being free from our sins. We get trapped spiritually and mentally when we think about the struggles, the mistakes, our inadequacies. We approach the idea of forgiveness often to think about the sins and the mistakes themselves. But I am arguing today that forgiveness counterintuitively is less about getting everything right. It is less about sin, and actually it is more about relationships. It is less about getting everything right and doing things all the right way. Instead, it's about experiencing a relationship with God. That's where the richness of the experience of forgiveness is found. Today we're going to look in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verses 36 through 50, and we're going to learn a little bit more about forgiveness in a way I hope helps us experience it more fully in our personal journeys with Jesus. But before we turn to the text, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that there is forgiveness. It's something that as Christ followers we claim as true. And yet, God, I know that even in my own life, there are times when I struggle to feel forgiven or experience the fullness of your forgiveness. And God, I pray that this morning as we look into your word, you would speak to us, draw us closer to you, so that our journey with you would be more of a journey of thriving joy than of struggle. In Christ's name, amen. In our passage this morning, I believe that we learn that forgiveness is less about our sins and failures and more about restored relationships. Let's read the text together. Beginning in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar, a stone jar, with perfume. As she, stood behind, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, the, Simon the Pharisee, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Maybe he was talking to himself, whether he said it out loud or thought in his head, Jesus responded anyway. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon says. Two people owed a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. The amounts here, you guys get the picture. How much a denarii is isn't quite relevant here. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one would love him more? Simon replied. And I like to think that he has this tone of voice. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was customary to clean one's feet because dusty sandals, feet were dirty. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil in my head, which was a sign of honor and anointing. Yet she has poured perfume on my feet, which would be much more expensive. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has, forgive, has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, the other guests, not Simon, who knows what Simon was thinking at this point, but the other guests who were there began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here in this passage, I believe we learn that forgiveness, again, as I have said, is less about our own sins and failures, but it's about a restored relationship. Now, there are three barriers, three walls, if you were, if you, to think about it one way, that the woman faced when it comes to entering into that space and being connected with Jesus. Three transformations that she experiences here in this story. And I think those are the ways that we're going to look at. We're going to look at those three things to try to get a better understanding of forgiveness, at least as it's given to us in this passage. First of all, the woman was known to have lived what's called a sinful lifestyle. Some translations or other commentators name it for what it probably was. She was probably a prostitute. Someone who lived in such a way that was dishonorable in their society and in their time for very good reason. She did not measure up to religious propriety. She should not have even been allowed to enter that house, let alone touch Jesus' feet. Interestingly, no one complained that she was there when she was there in the first place. She was considered unclean, dirty. Allowing her too close meant risking allowing her filth to rub off on them so that they would be considered ceremonially, religiously unclean. She was unclean and she was shunned. She was an unclean woman and she was shunned by those who had any standing within the temple. Have you ever experienced what it's like to simply not belong, to be shunned, to have people look at you and say, this person doesn't belong here? I, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this. I remember one time I had this experience. I was the only non-white guy at a country line dancing bar, and... I remember sitting down, looking around, thinking, huh. And I had never actually gone before, and this was actually at my, uh, my, my sister-in-law and her now uh, husband. Um, they were having a party, and so we kind of went along there. And I remember people having remarks, saying things about me being there. It was a really uncomfortable, painful experience being shunned, being told implicitly and explicitly, you have no place here. You shouldn't be here. We don't want you here. 
That was the kind of experience that this woman had. She was shunned, not welcomed. Yet Jesus seems to indicate to her that she is. Her response is a response to forgiveness. As the story that Jesus tells seems to indicate, she has already received forgiveness, and she likely already knows. Many commentators say that it is probable that she previously had some sort of interaction with Jesus. Hence, she came to express this lavishness toward him because she had already spoken to him, and he had already told her, your sins are forgiven. What he says here in this passage is a reiteration of what she already knows and for the benefit of those who are sitting around listening. Her sins are forgiven. And when she receives this, she goes from being someone that is unwelcome and unclean to a person that can not only be near Jesus, but to touch Jesus. Jesus not only allows her to do that, he in some sense defends her in the presence of these other people. She goes from being unclean and unwelcomed and shunned to welcomed and defended. That's an interesting turn for her to experience there in that time. Even when at that that same place, she heard what these other folks were saying about her, And it probably hurt, but Jesus welcomed her, defended her. In that moment, it doesn't appear to be important whether or not this woman's life actually turns significantly around. Now, probably it did. But in that moment, that's not the concern. In that moment, the concern is, yes, you were distant. Yes, you lived this way. You are forgiven. Come. There's a restoration of relationship that seems to be more important than whether or not she successfully lives a righteous life afterwards because she is forgiven and grateful. A religious barrier of what is right and wrong in their society in that time was broken, a relationship restored. A second turn that happens here, a barrier that gets broken, is seen when we think about her station in life. As I mentioned before, she was considered a prostitute, someone that was not just a woman of ill repute. She would have been a person that had very little to her name, poor, no husband and home, likely no children, no social protections that allowed her to be cared for in their society. She had very little wealth to her name. She had very little of anything that may have been some of the reason why she ended up in the lifestyle that she did. She takes an alabaster jar of perfume. To have perfume in a nice jar, that was likely her net worth, all of her backup money, anything that she had to survive in case things went south. That's all she had. And she wasted it all on Jesus' 
dirty feet. It's kind of like selling your house, then going to the bank and withdrawing it all in cash and then putting it in the fireplace. Wasted. Gone. She would never be able to get that perfume back. And even if she tried to scrape off little bits, it would start to smell like feet. And dirty feet at that. And so it would be worthless. She lost it all in that moment to lavish over Jesus. And yet it is here that the juxtaposition of her own poverty is important. The lavishness that she receives is what she gives out in return. She turns back what she has received and experienced into honor and praise. You see, she was poor and hopeless, but yet she was forgiven much. As the story that Jesus tells implies, she had received forgiveness. There's a reciprocity there, sort of a matching of the ideas, of of the themes. She was given much, and so she poured out much in return. She goes from being poor and hopeless in this story to being lavishly loved. Once again, in this story at least, the focus is not on her ongoing life. It's about the here and now. It's about a moment in which that relationship is made available to her. That the bond of reciprocal love, of God's forgiving love given to her, is also returned back in an actual relationship. A shared bond between Jesus the forgiver and the woman the forgiven. Forgiveness breaks through that religious barrier as we talked about earlier, and it also here breaks through a seemingly socioeconomic barrier. There should be no reason why Jesus, a blue-collar child and now young man, should associate with someone of her social and economic standing. And yet there they are together with mutuality. And there's a third change that happens in her life. A significant barrier that is crossed, and a barrier that I think takes a little bit of thinking to understand, which is the barrier that she probably experiences in being able to have pure and innocent intimacy with anyone. I don't need to go into the reason as to why a prostitute would struggle to find unsullied and pure intimacy that is both platonic and yet rich and life-giving. She was a woman whose body was used and abused for the sinful desires and the needs of men at whose hands intimacy was exploited, was ruined, There was no way that she could have that kind of relationship with someone because the people around her just used her. That was who she was. That was her life. She was left with a kind of status that would socially disqualify her 
from relationships. Uh, my parents actually right now are still, they're in Iraq, and they've been working with um, Yazidi refugees from the Syrian war, uh, some of whose families were uh, previously uh, caught by um, ISIS. And some of the things that they talk about in the struggle there is particularly for the women, the women who had at one point been slaves in ISIS, whose bodies were used and abused, are now considered unlovable, distant, unmarriable. And so these poor women have to figure out a new way to survive. They've got been given no education, nothing. And that kind of situation reminds me of what this woman must have lived through. She had nothing, no status to her name. She was used and abused and could not experience the kind of intimacy that would help her thrive in life for the rest of her life. She had none of it. And yet, something remarkable happens here. She is allowed to approach Jesus in a manner that is both deeply intimate and pure. What she was doing was weird. It was not normal for someone to go and wash somebody's feet with their tears and hair. I mean, yes, men and women would go and wash the feet of guests. It was a normal thing. Jesus did it, right, as he washed the feet of his disciples. But he used a towel. The Bible says Jesus used a towel. Not his hair. What this woman was doing was strange, but also strangely intimate. It was physical. It was tactile. It was not intimate in a sexual way, but intimate in a platonic, pure, and innocent way. This woman goes from someone who is used and abused and in this scene to someone who is fulfilled and restored to be able to experience something that she probably thought she could never experience because that society would not let her because she had gone too far down the road of sin. Yet there she is experiencing something miraculous by way of forgiveness. She is restored, restored to a relationship, not the kind of throwaway relationships that she had filling her life, but a relationship that lavished upon her grace and forgiveness, honor and dignity, defense in the way that she desperately needed. She was restored and ultimately restored to a relationship with the living God. Forgiveness is about restored relationships, specifically a restored relationship with God in which we can experience God's love, grace, and as Jesus says here, peace, peace in her life. At the beginning of our reflection, I mentioned that forgiveness was a little bit less about getting past our failures, and sins. And by saying this, I don't mean that it's unimportant for us to live rightly and to live according to God's best for our lives. That is important. To be sure, at a theological level, it's important for us to be cleansed of our sin so that we can be in relationship with God. 
But the purpose of it isn't simply so that we can go, somehow go around in life and be actually sinless. A lot of Christians struggle with this. We hear the phrase that there's freedom from sin, and we assume that that means that somehow we probably don't struggle with it anymore. Or that somehow I'm more guilty because I've asked for forgiveness and God forgave me and yet I did it again. But when we dwell on that point and we get caught in that loop of shame and guilt, we miss the point of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not about turning us into paragons of righteousness, but forgiveness is about saying, yes, you did mess up, and I love you anyway. And come and be restored. Sometimes Christians in variety of traditions focus too squarely on sin, as if that was all that was there when it comes to forgiveness. But forgiveness isn't just about wiping things off the board and crossing them off. It's not a list and a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's about knowing Jesus and knowing God. It breaks us from the cycle of sin and shame. Because try as we might, we will falter. We are going to continue to fall down. But forgiveness means that Jesus is there extending a hand to help us get back up again. That's a song that, I, that our, our two-year-old daughter loves right now. Get back up again from Trolls. Get back up again. Jesus is there to help you get back up again. Not to look at you on the ground and say, oh, you did it again. And to wag his finger. Forgiveness is about restoring the relationship. Paul says in Ephesians, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. In other words, it's the grace that's given to you is not based on whether or not you can successfully live a pure and for life post-forgiveness. It's not based on your merit. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The forgiveness that the woman experiences here is not predicated on her future righteousness, but it is predicated on the grace of God. So at the end of the day, forgiveness, although it is related to sin, it deals with sin, is not about sin only. It's about a relationship. God lavishes his love upon us so that those barriers can be broken, the social barrier between us and God, so that we can be in relationship with God once again. So what might that mean for us today? Some of you are hearing this and Maybe you admit to yourself, I keep thinking about forgiveness and beating myself up all the time. And I have yet to say, okay, God, I'm going to let go of that so that I can experience a relationship with you. Maybe now is the time to say, okay, God, if that's what following you is about, that's what I want. Maybe you need to pray about it. 
Maybe you need to come up and talk to me about it, and we can pray together. I would love to do that. Make a commitment to follow a God that is not about your rules and regulations, but about a relationship with you. Maybe you just need to be in a regular practice of experiencing forgiveness. Maybe at the end of every day, as you lie down to bed, you could pray a prayer and say, God, please forgive me for this. Sometimes I, I, I tell my kids, you just pray that God forgives you for being mean, for kicking your brother. You know, Pray. And then experience forgiveness and celebrate it like it matters. Not like it's just a thing to check off the list. But celebrate the fact that God loves you and forgives you. And that God will forgive you the next time too. Maybe you are, maybe, I mean in this story, maybe you're a little bit more like Simon and Simon's friends. You see, forgiveness is given to all. The focus of the story is on the woman. But you know what? Those other folks need forgiveness too. Because in their own hearts, they are thinking about things strictly from a merits perspective. And what they do when they do so is to miss out on things. Sometimes they don't even realize that they need, be, need to be forgiven. And so maybe you just need to think about that a little bit. Are there ways that you need to be forgiven that you just haven't thought about, that somehow culturally or whatever, you've been given a blind spot, and you might need to pray and ask God to reveal those things to you. Whatever the case, I hope and pray that we as a community would be one that experiences the fullness, the lavishness of forgiveness, because God forgives to break down those barriers. Not so that we are still stuck in a cycle of feeling guilty and shameful about our missteps, but so that we can live fully in relationship with a loving God. When we live like that, and in the celebration of, I mean, to pour out generously without concern for our pocketbooks like that woman, and goes away happy and free, that, friends, is the strongest witness that you can have to your Lord Jesus to show other people what it's like to live a fulfilled and free life. Let's be that kind of community that experiences forgiveness like that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the story of this woman. Thank you for your love and grace to her that is an example of your love and grace for us. Lord, I thank you that you don't hold it against her, and neither do you hold it against us, because that is why you came, to live and die so that our sins may be forgiven, not by our own merit, not by our own worth, not by our own ability to stay away from temptation and sin, but by your grace and your grace alone. Thank you. God, will you help us experience the joy and the fulfillment of that in our lives so that we can be truly free from sin? In Christ's name, amen.